welcome to explain it to me like I'm a 10 year old today. I'm very lucky to have Aaron Harris with me. Aaron is the college admissions manager at Prep Scholar and has been working in the college admissions industry for over 10 years. Prep Scholar provides a variety of services to help kids get into college, including online courses and classes. They also founded True North Academics, a college counseling company focused on getting kids into college with as little stress as possible. Aaron has also attended Yale and Harvard. I am so excited for our interview today. Hi, Aaron. How are Hi. you today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited too. Well, well, let's get into it. Uh, my first question for you today is, what makes a good college application? Oh, that's an excellent question. Well, I would say that a good college application has sort of four components to it. One is you have to have really strong academics, and that usually comes in the form of having excellent grades in difficult classes, but also, you know, the SAT and the ACT are still a factor in college admissions, even though they have become increasingly less important because post-COVID, a lot of colleges have stopped requiring those tests. So, but if you're not submitting a test, then you definitely want to have excellent grades, rigorous classes showing that you've challenged yourself. So that's kind of the first piece. But the second piece is that you also want to have some kind of extracurricular commitment, whether it's through school clubs or sports or through a business that you've started or a book that you wrote or some volunteering, anything that you do, music that you're really passionate about and that you've taken to a really high level. Colleges are looking for students who are really strong, not necessarily good at everything, but who are really, really great in a particular area so that they can really shine and be a future leader in that field. So if you love math, try to do some kind of independent project related to that or whatever your passion is, that's what you want to follow. And the third piece is they do really want to see um, they want to see character that comes through college essays and it comes through letters of recommendation. Um, and really the fourth piece is just kind of an understanding that you have researched the school and that you know what that college is looking for and that you really want to go there. Students are submitting applications to more colleges than ever, which means the colleges are struggling to guarantee that that student is actually gonna show up. So we, they definitely, you wanna do your research and demonstrate that you, you know what those colleges that you're applying to have to offer. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So tell me about how you first got interested in college counseling. Excellent question. Well, as you mentioned, um, I attended Yale and then I went to grad school at Harvard and ended up not really liking grad school very much and leaving kind of early. And because of that, I started SAT tutoring and a lot of the students that I was helping had so much anxiety about the process. This was back in 2011. And so, you know, they were very anxious about how do I get into these schools? I hear you went to an Ivy League school. How do I get in there? 
And I became really interested and did a lot of reflecting. I thought, how did I get in there? I didn't think I was that much smarter than anybody else in my school. But then I thought about what my story was and what I had really focused on in my application, which is that I love writing. And all of the activities that I was doing, not all of them, I also was on a sport and some other things, but so many of my activities were related to writing. And it was very clear from my application that I had a purpose. I had an intentionality to my application. And so that's always been kind of what I share with students is it's not really good enough to just be near the top of your class. You have to show that there's something unique about you that you're really um, that you're really driven by and that you're going to contribute to their campus. And so, you know, that seemed to work for me. A lot of my students did really well and I really enjoyed the exploratory part of it. I love looking at different colleges that are totally different. You know, Harvard and Yale are very famous, but they're certainly not the only ones that are out there or the only ones that are good. Um, I loved learning about the different schools across the country and around the world. And I learn something new with every new student that I work with, because there's always someone who's in a unique situation, somebody who's homeschooled, somebody who's from Ukraine, somebody who wants to study marine biology. And with every new student, I have to figure out, you know, I have to see through new eyes all over again. If I were this student, where would I want to apply? What would be the best pathway for me? And that's really fun. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me a bit about your own college experience. My college experience was challenging. Um, I loved Yale, um, but I struggled a lot as a young person with having this sense of perfectionism and feeling like when I got to Yale that everybody there, I wanted to be a writer. All of the writers honestly seemed so much better at writing than I was. And so this actually really kind of distracted me from what I felt that my purpose had been. And I started studying other things instead. Um, and no matter what I did, I never really felt like I was good enough. But a lot of that just comes more from my own mentality. I really loved how at Yale, everybody was super, super passionate about multiple things everybody seemed to just really have this zest for life. And if I were going to apply to college again, I would still make the same choices. But what I would bring with me is more of a tolerance for failure, that it's okay to not get accepted to, you know, the poetry magazine. It doesn't mean that I need to change my major to something else. I would bring with my, with myself a little bit more stick-to-itiveness um, and a little more grit, which I don't think I really had coming into college. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, I'd also love to hear a bit more about what Prep Scholar does to help students get into college. Yeah, absolutely. So Prep Scholar has a lot of different services that we offer. And um, generally speaking, we really focus around this idea of helping a student find their spike, which is another way of talking about like your personal brand or that focus. What is that one thing where you're really going to excel and maybe be a famous person one day, which is going to appeal to these schools. Um, so we have packages where people who are in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade can sign up and work with a mentor to help them develop what they're excited about, to manage their sort of 
academic schedule, but also to help them really build activities that are going to demonstrate their interests and demonstrate their passions and help them explore schools that would be a good fit for them so that they're not just looking at the most famous ones, but also looking at schools where they can get a great return on investment by maybe getting a merit scholarship. Um, looking at schools in parts of the country they might not have considered. It's a difficult balance between wanting to help our students get into the most competitive schools possible while also broadening their perspective and making sure that they realize it's not like if you go, if you don't get into Stanford, your life is over. There are so many possibilities. And so we support students through the entire process. We help them with their essays. Um, we help them figure out, you know, where and when to apply pretty much everything that you'd be looking for in this process. Yeah, just just like you said, I know I know a lot of people that approach it that are like, if I don't get into Stanford, it's over, you know? So how do you deal with that when you're coaching applicants? That's a wonderful question. It can be really challenging because sometimes that pressure is coming from the parents and sometimes that pressure is coming from the student themselves and the fellow, their peers in school, you know, students have a lot of competition with each other. And one of the things I always do is I always tell people that when I look at my, my fellow classmates from Yale, a lot of them are very successful. Most of them are doing fine. They're not millionaires or billionaires. Um, and some of them are, you know, struggling with various, various mental health challenges, just like the rest of us. And I bet you could project those exact same numbers onto any other university, you know, and going to one of these schools is not going to guarantee that you're going to be happy, that you're going to be rich, that you're never going to have problems again. You know, they're wonderful schools, but almost any college that is, you know, selective at all. And I don't mean like ranked in the top 20. I mean, you know, any college that takes more than, that takes fewer than half of the people that apply will provide an excellent education to a brilliant student. And the students who are working so, so hard and doing all the right things and could have gotten into Stanford, but didn't get in, if they end up going to UC Santa Barbara or some other excellent college, they are going to do just as well. They are still going to be successful because they have all the same skills and the same passion that they would have had applying to a, a ridiculously selective university. And there's a great book out there called Where You Go Is Not Who You Will Be. And it's by a writer, a columnist named Frank Bruni. And that book really goes into depth on a lot of famous and successful people, CEOs, um, really, really big name people and sort of their educational background. And the reality is that about, you know, a third of the people that you've heard of went to famous universities, but most of them didn't, you know, a lot of them went to their local public school um, and ended up being highly successful. It's really not about where you go. It's about what you do when you get there, the connections that you make, the classes that you explore, the amount that you can push yourself and um, look for opportunities. And could you tell us a bit more about some of those colleges that you think are really great opportunities that might not be at the top of the minds for some of our listeners? Absolutely. So one school that has become more and more popular um, to look at has been Santa Clara, which is in Northern California. 
Um, I really am a big fan of medium sized. I'm a big fan of the medium sized Jesuit institutions, even though I personally, when I was in high school, would never have applied to a school that had any religious affiliation at all. It was a very big turnoff for me, but you know, Santa Clara, LMU, um, University of San Francisco, University of San Diego, these are just some California examples, but you know, on the East coast, we have places like Fordham, um, colleges that really hit a sweet spot in terms of their size, because a lot of students don't necessarily want to go to a gigantic school like Berkeley or, um, you know, UMass Amherst, a giant school, they want something that is going to be more medium sized, not necessarily a tiny little liberal arts college either. And so I really recommend those schools. I'm a really big fan of the University of Rochester, which is in Rochester, New York. Um, it's not in New York City, so it doesn't have the glamour, but they have a very high population of international students. They have excellent, excellent research facilities. And one of the best things is that they have an open curriculum. So you really get to make, have a lot of choice in which classes you take. And so that is something that appeals to a lot of students. So when a student is interested in Brown University, which has an open curriculum, but only has an 8% acceptance rate, I tell them to look at Rochester. They have a 33% acceptance rate. So it's still very competitive, but if a student is competitive for Brown, they're probably gonna be admitted to Rochester and in many ways, they'll have a similar experience. Oh, totally. And, and how would you define success in the college admissions process? To me, success in the college admissions process means that you have been admitted to a school that you're very excited to go to. And ideally, you will be admitted to multiple schools unless you apply early decision, in which case, you know, in that process, you apply to one school early and then you either get in or you don't. But normally students apply to about 12 to 15 colleges. Very few of them get into all of those schools. So I would call success being where you end up going, you have some choices. You have hopefully some financial choices as well. You know, college is very expensive and ideally you would be able to choose between two or three or four or more schools that all have things that you love. Maybe you're deciding between a school on the West Coast, a school in Chicago. Maybe you're looking at a large school or a small school, a school where you've gotten a merit scholarship that's not going to cost you as much. There may be trade-offs to the different places, but ideally every place that you get into is gonna be something that makes you happy, where you could see yourself enjoying your time there and really benefiting from the experience. And, and a lot about the college admissions process is, is finding the right school for you. What do people tend to get it wrong when looking for the right school for them? Oh my gosh, yes. People often look way too hard at the rankings. They look at those US News and World Report rankings, which I could go on and on about why those rankings are pretty much meaningless. Um, all the schools that are there are very good, but there are actually hundreds of other schools that are really good as well. And those rankings can't tell you anything about the way that you're going to vibe with other people on the campus. They can't tell you anything about completely beyond your control factors like 
what dorm you get put into or who your roommate is. Um, they don't really take into account any of the personal things that make colleges unique. And when students are just looking at the selectivity of a school as a proxy for quality, they're missing a lot of important points. Some people really wanna be in a city, other people that's less important. Some people care a lot about campus safety or they care a lot about, am I gonna have an academic advisor that's gonna work with me for all four years? Are there mental health resources here? Do I have the opportunity to have a car on this campus or not? Things that people never think about in the process. And so I really encourage all students to visit as many colleges as they can. It's expensive and time consuming. So not everybody has the privilege, but for, fortunately during COVID, schools really upped their game in terms of virtual tours. So you can get a feel for what this campus is like. You can get a sense of what is the culture here? What is the dominant ethos as it were? What is the vibe of this particular school? Do they offer programs that I'm interested in? And if I change my mind, is that something I can do? Like at Yale, it was easy for me to change my major, but if I had been attending a large state school like UC Berkeley, it would have been harder to change my major. Or even if I had been attending Princeton, but was in the School of Engineering, it's very hard. Oh, well, actually it's probably easier to get out of engineering. It's just very hard to get into engineering if you start in something else. So these are all factors that play a role. Yeah, and, and you know, a huge problem is now is like, there's so much more wealth inequality and so much of a, a big income gap. In what ways is the college admissions process fair and unfair? It's totally unfair. I don't think there's anything fair about it. I do think that some colleges, the most selective colleges are making an effort to attract students regardless of income. These schools, places like Harvard and Yale and Stanford, they can afford to do that. And I, I don't know what the income cutoff is, but I, I yeah, 10 years ago it was like $60,000, but I think it's much higher now. You'll get a full ride, if your you know if your income is below a certain threshold at those schools, but the hard part is then getting in, you know. And um, most schools are not necessarily affordable for most Americans. And so, a strategy that I always urge students to do is to look at schools that are going to give you merit scholarships. If you're if you're capable of possibly being admitted to a school like Cornell or a school like Amherst or a school like MIT, you're definitely gonna have schools like Santa Clara that are saying, we really want this kid. I really want this kid to come to our school instead of going to MIT. And the only way they would ever do that is if we gave them more money. And so there are schools that will offer merit scholarships to lure top applicants to their campuses and then raise their profile. There's also a lot of outside scholarships out there. However, the process is super unfair. Colleges are trying to phase out, well, not colleges are trying, but it's happening. Legacy admissions are being phased out. There are a lot of changes because the public eye is on equity. People want to level the playing field, but it's hard. It's hard because, um, yeah, it really, I, I actually struggle occasionally thinking about 
um, how unfair it actually is. But, you know, Prep Scholar is very committed to giving you a return on investment, making sure that, you know, you're applying to colleges where you're not going to end up with, you know, decades of debt because either they will have given you a, a healthy financial aid package or position you to do internships and, and get lined up for a really good, a really good degree and a job. Completely. And I also another thing that I'd really love to touch on is, is SATs. They're so highly controversial and now some schools are making them optional. You know, what do you what are the positives of an SAT? That's another great question. And I should have mentioned this talking about what's unfair. So yeah, the SAT is also super unfair um, because for a lot of reasons, you know, it costs money and time to take it five times or however many times some people used to take it and to prep for that. Um, but there are pros. I think, um, I think for a student, every student should still try to take the tests, even though there are a lot of schools that are test optional. Um, because a really strong test score will, like I said, it will not only help you at super selective schools where that's more the norm, but it will also help you with schools that are a little bit less selective and they might want to, again, give you, give you scholarship money to attend that school rather than a hyper, hyper prestigious school. Um, but test school, test scores are losing their value because, you know, when the when COVID hit, everything sort of went test optional because it was so difficult for students to find a test center that was open. And a lot of them are sticking with that. MIT, University of Florida are some of the only big names that have gone back to requiring the SAT. But by and large, schools are staying test optional. And what that does is it means that it's gonna drive the average test scores even higher because people who are below the average are not going to submit their scores. And so at some point it's going to become meaningless because only people with 34, 35, 36 ACT or like a 1550 plus SAT are going to send their scores in to these schools. So I do think that SATs are on the decline. I think that's a good thing because Overall, they're not very fair. They don't measure intelligence. Even when you take socioeconomic inequality off the table, they don't measure who's going to perform well in college. They do have somewhat of a correlation with your first year performance. So, but it makes sense that once you're in college and you're learning more, you will get better at those, at those things. So it's, what it's useful for is for large universities that receive too many applicants to sort through them all and having some kind of a metric to compare because grade inflation is another problem. You know, somebody with straight A's from one school and a 1000 SAT versus somebody with straight A's from a different school and a 1500 SAT, that's going to be a different type of student academically. So I do think they have some value, but they're losing their value. And overall, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's just one piece of the puzzle and it's a shrinking piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And what do you think something like the SAT or, or anything like that that sh should be actually changed about the college admissions process? I think a lot of 
things. Oh my gosh. I think so many things should be changed. Um, but it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to, to do because, you know, they have, they have so many applicants. I mean, just as a, as an overview, there are approximately 24,000 high schools in the United States. And that doesn't even include tests. That doesn't even include, um, international students. So if the top student from every high school in the U.S. applied to Harvard, that's 24,000 students. And everybody thinking, I'm going to get into Harvard because I'm the valedictorian. But they can actually only admit 1,954 applicants each year. That's how many they admitted last year out of, you know, and they didn't get 24,000 applications. They got 61,000 applications. So what I think needs to change about the process is really more than anything, yes, it's unfair, um, but I think people need to shift their attention away from this idea that only the schools that are hardest to get into are worth going to because it's just creating a lot of stress on students. It's hurting students' mental health. Um, that's something that we as the public can do, or as we can't necessarily change the policies the colleges have. Colleges are making a big effort to be more inclusive. Um, colleges are asking essay questions about diversity and community to attract students that are gonna bring a different perspective to the campus. A lot of those things are changing, but I do think um, things like the cost that is just so prohibitive for so many people. And there is just a lot of unfairness that's sort of built into it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, the whole system is honestly a little bit backwards and a little bit broken. But one thing that's backwards about it is that we're measuring quality by input instead of output. Oh, somebody with a 790 SAT is average at MIT, so that school must be the best. Well, they got that SAT score before they even went to MIT. Would you judge the quality of a car by like who buys it or what the car can do? Maybe those students are already so smart. Do they even, you know, do those schools actually end up doing the most work or the least work? So no shade to MIT. It's an excellent institution. But my point is that the way that we look at college rankings, college value is is always a little bit a little bit misguided, I think. I completely agree. I want to thank you so much for being here. My final question for you today. You know, I, I have a sister. She's a junior in high school right now. Uh, what's your advice to her to find the right college? Awesome question. So my advice to her to find the right college is to really imagine how she wants to be spending her time, really what she loves to do. College can be the best four years of your life. You know, if you're not just obsessed with why you're not the best at everything anymore, it can really be an incredible time. And so to look at her list and look at the city that the college is in, look at what extracurricular groups they have, look at the actual classes, you know, depending on what she wants to major in, um, she should really think about what is my day-to-day -day life going to be like here? That is really, I think, more important than the brand name of the school. Um, I'm assuming if she's your sister, she must be very, very smart. So I'm sure she's got a lot of great options, 
but remember to look past sort of the brand name and to look at sort of a range of choices that are financially feasible and that are really genuinely interesting and exciting. And you're not just applying just because a lot of the colleges ask questions that say, why do you want to come to this college? And that's a wonderful opportunity for your sister and other students to ask themselves, why do I want to go to Columbia? Just because it's Columbia is not a good reason. You have to really look at, wow, they have all these undergraduate research opportunities and they have, you know, an LGD, oh, I can't even say my own acronym, LGBTQ Alliance. And they have all these things that I'm excited about doing. Really look at that and don't just worry about, oh, but it's number four this year and it was number two last year. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed talking to you and learning so much. Thanks. You're so welcome. I really enjoyed it too. And um, I love your podcast. I think you're doing great things. 